Welcome to the Madrigos Midwest podcast, Mental Health Matters, where we discuss mental health matters because we know that mental health matters. Welcome back to the next session of the Madrigos Midwest podcast, Mental Health Matters. For this episode, it is a pleasure to welcome back someone who is no stranger here at Madrigos Midwest, Yankee Greenberger who is a trauma and addiction therapist, as well as truly one of the premier adolescent therapists in the Jewish community. For 13 years, Yankee served as the clinical director of two separate community organizations, first H. Tummit in LA, and then here at Madrigos Midwest in Chicago, which he has collectively supported well over a thousand individuals and families through those organizations and now into his private practice. In recent years, he has focused his clinical work specifically on trauma healing, utilizing EMDR, eye movement desensitization, desensitiz- desensitization and reprocessing, excuse me for that, uh, attachment-focused EMDR-related work. And he has also completed the intensive certified sex addiction therapist training through the International Institute of Trauma and Addiction Professionals. Yanki, thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you for uh, having me back here. It's really nice to to speak with another Madrigos colleague. Absolutely, and uh, those listening can't see, but I'm actually sitting in your uh, your Daladamos, so I appreciate that. Uh, but uh, why don't you tell us a little bit first on you know as you've transitioned into your work at private practice, what are you what what are your focuses uh, in that realm right now? So. You know, I, I, I really um, kind of continued, really, I should say, supporting the, the Jewish community. Obviously, there is, as a, as a uh, fellow tribesman and member of the community, uh, a certain passion to continue that work and, and um, certainly doing that. Um, like you said before, I have really um, kind of niched myself um, in focusing in on trauma. Um, as well as addiction, and and that includes drug and alcohol addiction, but I've I've put a special uh, focus on uh, sex addiction work, um, which has really been um, a, a big focus of of my work here in my practice, um, and it really started even before I left. You know, working um, at, at the uh, Moses and Helen Stern Counseling Center over at Madrego's. Uh, both the trauma and the and the uh, addiction, um, and you know, so I, I've I've done that, and I have again, like I'm I'm, I'm you know, Baruch Hashem, I'm, I'm still able to be uh, a, a resource and support to the community, but also you know, starting to branch out of my private practice, focusing in on on uh, the trauma and addiction work, um, collectively. Amazing, amazing, and. Uh... How, how are we doing as a community in the realm of addiction? I mean, are you seeing, are, are we moving forward? Are we moving backwards? Where, where are we at on that? So addiction as a, as a whole, you're asking? Yeah. Or, okay. Yeah. Or specifically sex addiction or, or, or drug and alcohol addiction or anything? I guess, uh, you know, I, I would say both, you know, as a whole, where, where do you okay. see the trends of the community? Yeah. So, so I'll tell you, it's a very interesting, I, I think that, I'll, I'll be honest, I think that there's there's one element of the community that 
um, that is a little bit stuck in their, I, I think we're, we're growing, we're making a lot of progress with understanding what addiction is and how you don't have to be homeless uh, to be a drug addict or you don't have to be homeless to be an alcoholic. Um, and the fact that we can be functioning human beings in functioning human beings with, 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 uh, with sustained jobs and, you know, education and, and, you know, family life and still be suffering from addiction. Um, so I think that we've made incredible strides in that area. I think that we, on one sense, there's been a little bit of a plateau, if I may be so daringly <laughs> daring to say, we've hit a little bit of a plateau. Um, at, at, on the other side, I think that there has been an influx of people entering recovery within our community. And I think that's been nice to see. So while on one side, um, you know, the education has increased tremendously, but we're, I, I think we're at a little bit of a plateau. And on the flip side, where this is, this is a, a scenario where you have two opposing truths existing in the same space, right? Uh, on the flip side, um, you, um, I am seeing a lot more people entering the world of recovery, utilizing the 12 steps, utilizing the, the systemic um, resources of recovery and not just like, oh, I'm, 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 gonna, I'm not going to drink anymore. I'm not going to use uh, drugs anymore. I'm not going to, you know, engage in illicit sexual behaviors or problematic sexual, sexual behaviors. I'm just not going to do it. But really taking that next step of, of owning their addiction and being able to say, okay, I need recovery in my life because without recovery, you know, th those behaviors will eventually come back. Sure. And a lot of times much sooner than people, you know, even suspect. Right. Absolutely. And it's, it's such a crucial point, especially about, you know, I just saw a post from a, an organization that focuses on addiction last night, uh, you know, with these new weed pens or whatever we might call them, you know, that the innocent onlooker is like, just like looks, looks like a pen, but is actually a way to access, right, these drugs. And what's so telling is that I think that's exactly like kind of what you were saying in terms of it's not the classic, you know, person on the street who's getting into these dangerous drugs. It's your student in the classroom, you know, it's your, your kid in, in the bedroom. And so, uh, you know, you know, doing their work, but, uh, you know, it, it's so, so that I think is very telling as a society as a whole, really. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you can, you can, you can smoke, you can smoke weed now in your office, in the classroom, um, in the bathroom of, of any, any public place now, right. because it, it doesn't have that big, harsh smell and that big, harsh, you know, um, um, you know, it doesn't doesn't hit you in the face like like uh, if you would actually be smoking a cigarette or even you know obviously weed, um, and then and then some of the other stuff that's you know technology is going to allow us to do in the coming years right. will be right. will be right. to watch. And and it's fascinating to me. Um, I'm curious your take on this, even you know broadening for a second beyond even just the Jewish community, but I mean, what is the mindset behind the society as a whole that is allowing these things? Is it is it increased depression? Is it purely business motivations? Like like how is what's your take on that? Like why why is society accepting these things? 
Well, I, I think society as a whole, and this is where I can get into, you know, political incorrect trouble, but <laughs> I think society as a whole has become a lot more open and tolerant, which obviously there's, there's great, uh, you know, reasons to become that. Um, but, you know, sometimes we take that openness and the tolerance to levels that are irresponsible, right? Um, they're, they're now legalizing psychedelics um, in, the, in the Northwest, right? And, and, and I, I predicted this for a while already, right? Wow. That first comes pot, then comes, you know, the other, uh, uh, you know, psychedelics. And soon we're going to have, and there's probably, there's, there's a, a professor that came out publicly and says, I use heroin on a daily basis. There's nothing wrong. We should legalize heroin. 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 We should legalize all, all drugs. So it's only a matter of time until drugs is no longer an illicit substance, but a legal substance. And that's going to complicate um, a, a lot of things, which just, I think, goes back to the idea. And this is some of the messages that we have to be hearing ourselves, communicating to our um, our kids, communicating to our loved ones. And it's what's legal, what's not legal has doesn't make a difference. It's what is, what's healthy, what's the right thing to do, and what's going to put you in a position to mo- to, to succeed. Um, and, you know, and then the counter argument to that will be, well, everybody's smoking pot and they're all successful human beings, right? So one of the things I want to challenge on, on that belief system is the people that are, are heavily involved in smoking pot today, the question I want to ask, right, is when was the first time they did it? And if the answer is over, you know, the first time they ever did it was it was in their twenties, right? Then then they are not then they can bring any proof to their functionality um, when we're discussing the the permissiveness of pot and drugs with kids who are still sure. developing, right. you know. Uh, one of the statistics that are that are out there, I shared this once actually at a at one of the Madrigos um, functions that we had did, where if someone smokes pot or drinks alcohol before the age of 18 versus past 18, they're 10 times more likely to develop an addiction than than smoke than using drugs and alcohol after 18, because our brain is 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 really in a developmental stage where, where it really messes with its functionality development. You, you know, it's like throwing uh, it's like throwing a whole heap of uh, salt on your French fries when all you want is a little like sprinkle, right? We're throwing a whole bunch of cannabinoids in our brain, overflowing it when our brain can naturally release you know, it's the proper amount of cannabinoids to let us feel good, let us, you know, you know, yeah. enjoy simcha and, and happiness and all the little good things that life has to offer. So uh, we're, we're, we're heading down a, a, a scary road, um, but I, I, I do see that there are a lot of people who are finally engaging in recovery, not just in accidents. Right. And, and we have wonderful therapists like yourself who are out there uh, supporting the community and, and uh, helping with this particular issue in specific. And so I, I do think on a communal level, 
I mean, we could point to so, so many individuals and therapists and organizations that are offering that additional support, which hopefully provides, I guess, that, uh, that hope, you know, for, right. for the improvement. Yeah, uh, and, 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 and I'll, I'll say it. I think that's why the work that, that Madrigos Midwest is doing, right, with the whole prevention um, model, right? The right. whole idea of getting to the schools and working with the kids and education and, um, and not just about, you know, uh, Gamara writing and math, right. but also about, you know, the different struggles and challenges that they're going to be facing in the future and, and offering some ideas of how to navigate those roles. So keep at it. That's great. That's great. Yeah. They, uh, my first day of being a teacher in Skokie Shiva for this steps program, everyone's like, Oh, you're the new Yankee. So I said, I don't know about that, but, uh, you know, we'll, uh, <laughs> do, right. do, I do my best, but, uh, but yes, it is. It is important that we uh, that we keep on that. I want to bring up a topic because I, I I've seen you talk about it before um, in, in different settings as well. As it relates to really addiction on all, on all fronts, um, the concept of moral incongruence. Right. So can you I guess educate our listeners a little bit about what that is and how that plays into this idea of addiction. Right. Okay. Um, yeah. So moral incongruence is this idea in the world of sex addiction, um, specifically focusing on people who are engaging in problematic problematic sexual behaviors, but they don't quite reach the idea. They don't create. They don't quite reach the 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 threshold of addiction. Mm-hmm. So they themselves feel like they can't stop. They don't want, they, they don't want to be involved in some of their problematic sexual behaviors. So whether, whether, um, whether that means um, someone who is single um, and, you know, engaging in sexual activity um, that, that's available out there, or even people who are, um, you know, teenagers and, and adults, you know, watching porn and, and obviously leading to masturbation and, and those um, issues. So there's a lot of, um, so, so they don't want to be doing those things, um, but yet they continue to do it. So the question becomes like, at what point is it an addiction? At what point is it this idea of moral incongruence? So if you look at, at, at the DSM, right, and the way they, they, they describe what compulsive sexual behavior disorder is, right? So there's there's a line at the end. There's a line at the end that says distress that is entirely related to moral judgment and disapproval about sexual impulses, urges, or behaviors is not sufficient to meet this requirement, right? So if you have, if, if you know it's an Avera, right, to, right? It's a sin to masturbate. Um, this concept of, of, of this particular sin, you know, it, it's, it's, a, it's a Judeo-Christian concept. It's true in Judaism, uh, Catholicism, um, Islam, it, it's, and, and uh, many others, right? Um, and the more and more I'm, I get involved outside of the pro community, right. I realize that Catholicism has like there's so many different, right? Um, Protestant, Lutheran, uh, you know, all, all the other um, 
evangelistic, all right? The whole, whole, a lot of different um, segments. So the, the idea that that there's an emotion, there's there's distress that's related purely to the moral disapproval, the moral judgment, you know, feeling that shame and guilt that I'm doing a sin, right? That's not sex addiction. That is just moral incongruence. I'm, and I'm saying just purposefully because part of what creates the, the cyclical behavior, the compulsivity in the behavior is this idea of shame and guilt, right? So if we're living with all this shame and guilt and we're feeling so terrible about ourselves and how God is so angry at us and Hashem is, has a special place in Gehenna for us, right? Um, and then the punishment is, I, I, I've heard, I, I, I'm starting to collect uh, different things that I hear people say, um, you know, whether you, you're, the, the punishment in in Olam, in Neolam in, in Gehenna is going to be that you're sitting in a, in, a, in a pot of boiling semen, right? You know, to elephants will come and trample on your, on your face, but that's going to be the punishment in Gehenna. I don't know. I've never been there. Right. Um, I certainly hope that's not the punishment. Right. But the but the idea um, that the, the, the amount of guilt and shame that comes along with that, um, all that does, it, 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 it continues to feed this, this narrative that we all have on some level that we're not good enough. Right. And that we're flawed and that we're not. And 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 um, and and we're, we're dysfunctional and all that and and all that that line of thinking, and we get super down on ourselves, right? Beat ourselves up, and at some point, most healthy people, so most healthy people, don't like to feel like they're you know they're, that they're that they're bad and evil and you know so they they try to like pick themselves up and you know and what's something that really you know they then they start thinking about oh what I did you know such as I felt good about myself. I felt good in the moment. And then that starts the behavior again, which, you know, culminates with uh, acting out again. And then, and then, you know, the guilt and shame, and then uh, I feel terrible. And then, you know, and, and then it goes round and round and round. Right. So if we can, so the idea of moral congruence is doing things that are against our moral um, and value system. Um, but it's not sex addiction. I think that what happens is with a lot of people that come in, whether it's Rebbeim or Rabbanim referring um, either Bachrim or even adults to treatment, um, or um, you know people on their own coming in and saying, "I'm a sex addict. I can't. I can't stop. You know, watching porn and masturbating. And, you know, uh, stuff like that." So. Um, one of the first things that we need to do as professionals, right, is 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 try to decipher and, and differentiate, you know, called differential diagnosis, right? Is this a sex addiction or is this a case of moral incongruence? And a lot of the times, a lot of the times, the people coming to us, you know, for these concerns, a lot of the times it's moral incongruence, right? And if we can work with the guilt and the shame and, and the idea of 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 you know, self-efficacy and trying to build ourselves up and trying to really become um, a better version of ourselves always, whether it's whether it's because we want to stop um, overeating or it's we want to stop um, um, you know 
watching things that are not appropriate for us to be watching, uh, Lashon Hara, uh, davening better, right? If we, if we can focus on these are areas that we need to improve upon and grow and try to, you know, always work on ourselves um, versus I'm flawed and I'm bad and, and I'm not good enough and look how terrible I am because I'm doing all these things that, that, that Hashem is going to be so angry with me on. He probably doesn't want to have anything to do with me anymore. These are all comments that I've, that I've heard, right? Uh, I have no more neshama. That, that's, that, you know, that's a comment that I, I've heard. I have no more neshama. I've done it so many times. I have no more neshama, right? So um, I, I think if we can understand that, that there is, you know, first of all, for, for people who are making these referrals, or people who are looking, you know, for, for treatment for themselves, I would say that if, if you're struggling with this, go, go to therapy, right? Um, and let the therapist help you, let the, let the therapist who is sensitive to the idea and the world of sex addiction, and, and maybe other addictions as well, help you figure out whether you're a sex addict and you need that systemic theory of recovery and meetings and sponsors and uh, accountability and, and um, you know, diff- different things that, you know, within the world of addiction we put in place to you know, prevent us from getting close to the, you know, to a relapse. Let the therapist help you decipher whether what you're struggling with is sex addiction or moral incongruence, because if it's moral incongruence, um, I'm not saying it's an easier, it's an easier avoda, but, um, but it, you know, it, it, it's something that's a little bit more palatable for someone who's just really struggling with that and not, you know, going out and hiring prostitutes and going to massage parlors and, um, you know, obsessively um, watching porn and masturbating and, and uh, you know, a lot of the, I don't know how deep you want me to go into, into this, uh, into this discussion here, but um, um, but yeah, really, really, it's about understanding what is addiction and what's moral incongruence. Sure, right, right, and that's a a crucial point to figure out the path of work, the avoda that they have, um, and and how to how to help recover. And and like you're saying, the idea of moral incongruence sounds like to me uh, a really broad-reaching idea, and really, you know, this this concept of we have to educate our children and ourselves, you know, to, to understand that we, when we fall down, we have to get up and we have to move forward and to push ourselves down. Sometimes the, uh, the guilt and the shame just pushes us so much deeper, uh, into whether it's relapse or a continued, you know, failing in that, in, in our, in our eyes and in our, in our goals. Uh, so to really, to understand that we, we have to be the best that we can be, um, but when we do mess up, to, to keep moving forward. Um, Absolutely, and that's that's certainly true from a, from a psychological perspective and from a, from a Torah perspective as well. So, uh, so okay. and fact, I, I think that's also just where where, where we are in, the, in you, you know you call this uh, podcast mental health matters. I think the fact that we understand now that um, psychology and therapy isn't um, isn't anything against. Uh, Torah ideas, if anything, it, therapy is a therapy is a uh, a way of implementing Torah ideas. A hundred percent, a hundred percent, and that's you know we actually had a a podcast episode by everybody, Larry Rothwax, uh, in earlier an earlier episode where he 
you know, we give a rabbi's perspective of someone who's tremendously experienced both in Chinuch uh, and in Rabbonus, as well as in, uh, he's a strong advocate for mental health. And that's one of his major perspectives that this is today one of the resources we have to become the best of the Hashem that we can be and not, uh, not in any way contradicting to that. Um, so we do have a few minutes left. I want to I wanna shift gears because I know that a lot of your work, as we've mentioned, is in addiction, but you also have another specialty, which is in the realm of trauma. So can you just share with us a little bit the work you do in the field of trauma? Right. So, uh, yeah, so first of all, you know, the, these aren't two separate specialties, right? In, in essence, there it's one specialty, right? Um, um, I, I remember I was, I was speaking with, uh, actually with, uh, with one of my clients and why I, he, he questioned me why I use the term trauma and addiction therapist, right? Mm-hmm. Um, why not just say addiction therapist? Because obviously then, you know, or because he would come for his addiction thing, right? So once you say addiction therapist and that, that includes everything, right? So, um, so I, I think that you, you can have, you can have a traumatic experience and not have, and not develop an addiction. At the same time, um, a, a lot of times where there's addiction, right? There, uh, not always, not always. Um, there's a big genetic component to addiction. A lot of times with addiction, there's also there, there's been a, a trauma, um, and research has, has shown that. So, um, so, so yeah, the, the trauma work that I do, um, obviously, I, I focus. Um, I, I focus that work using EMDR, which is a very powerful therapeutic technique that really helps the brain um, do what the brain is supposed to do, the way the brain, the way Hashem created our brain to function, which is to heal itself and, and, and figure things out by itself. But a lot of times when, when people suffer a trauma, right, it, you know, it's, they used to call it shell shock back, you know, when people come back from uh, World War II and Vietnam or shell shock. And until they, they kind of like created this term of post-traumatic stress disorder. And because what's happening is they're, they're a person's shell, their, their, their skull, their head, their brain, right. Is, is in a state of shock, right. Because something happened, right. That the brain is not really able to figure out like what to do with this information. Right. So it kind of keeps it, it, you know, it keeps it off to the side, right? And says, okay, I'll, I'll figure that out later, right? But really that, that trauma, that, that, that event, that um, the activity surrounding that internally in our brain is still active because the brain never processed it in, in an appropriate way to be able to like, you know, store it, you know, put it where it belongs, um, so part of the work of, uh, in trauma work is to really um, help the person um, reprocess those memories, so the br- and, uh, so the brain can do what it does and store it in, in 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 its right place and really deactivate, right? Even though we may be activating at first, but really to deactivate those memories. Um, and tell the person, okay, you can chill now, like relax, like you're not in danger, you're not, you know, um, you, you can, you know, not everybody's out to get you, and and really put a put a person at a at a in a place of like healing, calmness, serenity, whatever you want. Right, right, all good places to be. Yeah. <laughs> so, 
I guess just I'm curious how how do you tell how can you how can you tell when someone has been traumatized has experienced such a traumatic event? Sure. So I think some some are some are very obvious. It's like almost like there's a single incident trauma, like boom, this happened: car accident, a rape, a sexual assault, uh, physical abuse. Um, uh, you know, going to war and suffering, you know, right. uh, some of those experiences, not, not suffering some of the experiences, but living some of those experiences. So you have these single incidents, or maybe it's a multiple incident event where it's like, it's very obvious. Um, so that's what we call it in, in, in the trauma world, the big T traumas, right? Those are the, the big ones. Like you don't have to like really do a lot of digging. Right. Yeah, a lot of times they're coming to you with those traumas. Like this happened to me and I can't deal with it. And, uh, you know, Right. Uh, you know, for uh, unfortunately, a, a lot of people coming in with incredibly high suicidal ideations, suicidal ideas, thoughts, um, maybe even plans. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and quite honestly, you don't have a lot of time to like help them like right. Right. Get, get past that because you're up against their, their push to end their life. So that, that, that becomes very challenging. Um, but in a way, and I will be careful with how I say this, in a way, there's a level of there's a level of clarity when someone comes in with a single incident or multiple incident trauma. Like, okay, we know what we're dealing with. The small T traumas, right, are are smaller events that have happened over the course of someone's lifetime that kind of fit a, a particular theme in which the, the person interpreted the theme to be. And a lot of times they're, they don't, they're not coming in understanding the, 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 the trauma theme, right? The, 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 the theme in um, their thinking and the way they've interpreted, you know, uh, you know years of events. Um, and, you know, a lot of times that presents in anxiety, that presents as depression, that presents as, um, um, that, that, that presents with a, a tremendous lack of trust with other people. So we see that a lot with, with teenagers who come in, don't, don't want to talk, you know, they're really resistant. Um, I'm not saying that every resistant kid is traumatized, right. Right. Um, but trauma doesn't have to be a massive thing. It could be a series of events that have happened over a number of years um, that, you know, that has culminated in a belief system that, that a particular person has about themselves and, and, and on helping their brain reprocess that and understand that it's a lot more challenging. It's, it honestly takes longer, right? It takes longer. Um, but, but really, what we're trying to do, we're trying to help the brain, the psyche, recalibrate itself and re reinterpret different things that they've interpreted about themselves for so long right. to, re, to, to retouch up their whole entire, you know, mohos. <laughs> sure, sure. Right. Okay, totally. Yeah, that's uh, so insightful. And, and, you know, it is because we, we, we to the layman, it trauma means like you said a car accident but uh really it's so much so much broader than that and i imagine that leads me to my next my next thought um you know we're still we're 
hopefully getting towards the end of this pandemic, but we're still in it and it's now been a while. And so how have you seen, you know, how many of us are traumatized from this pandemic? You know, have you seen trauma increase throughout this pandemic? And, you know, right. how does that play into it? Yeah, so this is, this is a great, this is a great example of, of you know, well, it's, it's not a single incident trauma, but this is, this has been a, uh, a, now a year, right? A year of, um, of small, um, trial, small traumatic events building on top of each other, creating a, 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 you know, a really, um, you know, bringing a lot of people to a breaking point of like, you know, so, I, I, first of all, I don't think we're going to see, we're going to understand the effects of this pandemic for years to come, mm -hmm. right? I think that, you know, once we start to really fully get out there and open up and, you know, how many different social skills were lost, how many different um, insecurities were, you know, um, were developed. Right. Um, but what, what I have seen over this year, and I've seen this both with addiction, with um, with trauma and and then you know the you know people dealing with anxiety, people with dealing with you know some depressive moods for so long, is that I think what the pandemic has done and the quarantining, like if you know, first of all, that's a word that I'm, I'm hoping in 2022 we never say again, right? Oh, From 2022 on, we never say the word quarantine again, oh, right? <laughs> um, so, but all that has done, it's, I th what I've seen is that it's really told people there's no more hiding. Like you got to deal with your issues, not particularly like the pandemic caused it, but like, this is something you've been dealing with for years and years and years. Like now you're locked up in your house. You can't run away. You can't distract yourself. You can't do all this stuff um, that you've been doing for so many years to hide. Like, you know, I've gone the years, man. Like, right. let's, let's finally take care of yourself. And I think people have been like really sitting with that, and I've seen that has been the precipice. When I when new people come into to therapy, what I've seen is people saying like, I I got to the point where I, I got to figure things out, right? So in a sense, the pandemic in that sense, I think has been a bracha, <laughs> right? It's been a real blessing for for uh, for a lot of people. Um, it, it's really challenged people to take that courageous step to finally like, you know, get into therapy and, and, and work things out. Um, but I don't think we're going to see the direct effects of, of this pandemic for probably a couple of years. Amazing. Amazing or frightening right. every one of you. <laughs> but it also, it also shows how trauma is not something that some people experience. Right. Trauma is something that everybody experiences, Right. Everybody experiences it. So yeah, we all experience you know, shutdown and quarantine and isolation and um, you know having our brain tickled with long sticks, you know, multiple times and and, and all that stuff. So we we've all experienced this, but but this is just you know it's a blip on the on the on the on, on the linear um, uh, span of our lives where we have different difficult things happen over so many years it, we all experience trauma and it takes a toll and and you know trauma isn't for the the you know the few trauma is for everybody right right and uh, again 
thankfully we have people and experts like yourself that are able to help us guide ourselves through it. I know you have another meeting in a few minutes to run through. I wanna give you one final question to leave us with. And that is to our listeners of this podcast, what is one message that you'd like to get out there? You know, this is your chance. What, what would it be? <laughs> uh, what would it be? Um, so first of all, obviously, continue to support Madrid's Midwest. Obviously. Um, <laughs> what? That I, I, we spoke about that before. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, of course. All right. continue, continue your support. The other thing is, is um, you know, therapy doesn't have to be for people in crisis. Therapy doesn't have to be for people in crisis. It, it, it can be for people who just want a, a better understanding of themselves, try to figure out the things that are holding themselves back. Um, and yeah, it takes, takes courage. It takes, um, humility, honestly, it takes humility and courage. Um, but it's, it's worth it. It's worth it. And I, um, I think there are a lot of, you know, highly, uh, highly and incredibly compassionate, highly skilled and incredibly compassionate therapists in, in our community that are able to provide this for people. And, uh, you know, you, you don't have to wait for crisis to, to go into therapy, and, and if and if you're beating yourself up because um, you're doing things that are, go against what you believe to be true, that doesn't mean you're flawed. It means that you're just doing things that are, go against what you believe to be true, and and um, you know try to try to work with someone to help you figure out what can what what could help you get past that right. struggle. I I love that you chose that uh, that message because I think it's so true. So much of what we're doing with this podcast and with the prevention pieces is working on the this mental health awareness piece, you know, and, and making people recognize that. And and one, I think, huge piece to that is that there is classically this thought of, oh, they need therapy, right? Like there's something like totally messed up with them. But the reality yeah. is, as you and I can both attest to, uh, that's not the case, right? There are many clients who just want to be better, that better sell, you know, that re- right. be better people and be better you know, closer to their self-actualization. And when we realize that, and we recognize that just going to therapy doesn't have to mean there's something so flawed with me and something majorly wrong, right? Hopefully that can be, I think, one made, one large piece to help uh, end whatever stigma is left. So uh, thank you for, for choosing that that message. I, I really appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, no, I'll, t- I'll, I'll take it a step further, if I, if I may. One, one more thing, I, I was speaking to someone this morning, actually. Um, and I, I, I shared this thing that I saw once, which I thought was so awesome because <laughs> it's so true. Yeah. Um, and the line was therapies for people. Well, let, let, me, let me get it right again. Therapies for people who, oh man, how, I, now I'm, I'm losing it. Therapies for people who are in therapy because other people won't go to therapy. Therapies for people who are in therapy because other people won't go to therapy. Oh, okay, yes. So yeah, that's uh, therapies and people, therapies for people who are in therapy because other people won't go to therapy. There you go. <laughs> right. Very, very true. Very true and very deep. You know, has to has to to sink in there, right? But uh, but it's a, it's a reality and it's really for everyone, like we said, and. Uh, for everyone who's comfortable and 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 we just appreciate so much all of those people that you are helping everything that you had 
done already for these on an organizational level for uh, both both the organizations you you worked so significantly for um, and for the community that you keep working with and the individuals and the communal level. And so we really thank you for your time now and uh, thank you for everything you're doing for those individuals and the community and wish you the most continued Hatzlacha in uh, every, all the work that you're doing and uh, keep up the good work. Amen. Thank you so much. Be well, Yankee. All the best. Thank you for listening to this episode of Mental Health Matters. To learn more about Madrigos Midwest, visit us at madrigosmidwest.org. Please join us next time as we discuss another mental health matter.